Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Boardroom Talk. I'm Emma Powell, financial services writer at Investors Chronicle. Today we'll be taking a closer look at Metro Bank, a challenger bank which came to market in March this year. Today I'm very happy to be joined by Craig Donaldson, Chief Executive of Metro Bank. Craig, welcome and thank you for coming in. Hi, thank you very much. So Metro Bank is quite a young bank, uh, having only been established in 2010. Could you briefly tell us a bit about the origins of Metro Bank? Of course. It starts in 1974. Don't worry, I'm not going to go on that long. Basically, Vernon Hill set up his first bank, nine people, one and a half million dollars. And over the following 33, 34 years, built it to be the 17th biggest bank in America and sold it for eight and a half billion dollars in, I think, the summer of 2007. As he puts it, he had a week of doing nothing. And then his other fr- uh, friend from uh, the UK said he should bring the model to the UK. He came across and was shocked at the service the banks in the UK gave. And he decided to bring the model here. And that's where we come from. And why was it you decided to become a public company earlier? Well, I'm sure the decision was made a lot earlier than March. But, but why was that? We, we always planned. So I've been at the company. Uh, I'm a banker for 20 years. Prior to that, I actually was in technology. I worked in the aerospace industry and then in telecoms. When I joined in 08, the plan was always to list. We were always going to list. And it was the right time because we believe it's the last time we'll need to raise the capital for the growth. Uh, we turned into a profit last quarter. Uh, the profits will continue to grow. And therefore, we wouldn't have a need to raise capital again. And the listing actually we raised 400 million of primary capital, which powers the growth forward. So we're always going to list. The rationale was we're a bank and banks need customers' trust. And that's what we have. But when you publish and you list, there's so much more data out there naturally that investors and people who bank with you can actually see the data. And that provides comfort. So when we're talking to CFOs of other companies where we're trying to win their banking, they can literally go into Bloomberg, see all the information, and that provides comfort way above a private company can have. So it was just part of our next growth curve. It was the last time we'd raise capital and therefore it was just the right time. But we always plan to list. So it wasn't just about raising the capital then? No, uh, it was about raising the capital because the money allows us to continue the growth. You know, now we've gone into profit, all the money we raise is simply for the growth out of 2020. Really, the only reason we listed was because it's the last time we expect to raise capital. Uh, We will raise debt. Uh, We have a balance sheet at the moment that has no debt on it at all. We are pure set one, as pure as the driven snow. And that was always the plan as well. We wouldn't raise debt until after we'd listed and then would raise it as we needed it. And that's just because we expect we'll pay a lower coupon as a listed company than we would as a private company. So again, for all the reasons, listing it, it was the right time. I see. And obviously you're a retail bank and that's quite a competitive area of the market. Something that maybe has been exacerbated by, you know, the low rate environment, that kind of thing, the kind of rates that are on offer to to kind of savers and, you know, current account customers. How can Metrobank compete with the established retail banks? Do you know, we we don't think about competing with them because um, we don't benchmark against that level, shall we say. Metrobank opened, like you said, in 2010. It was the 29th of July. And we've therefore worked for our whole life in a low base rate environment. We went through a double dip recession. And we've gone from four of us eight years ago to two and a half thousand colleagues now and over 874,000 customers, growing at about a thousand a day. So how do we do that in this low rate environment? Well, first of all, all we've ever known is a low rate environment. We're built for that. Also, we do it because we spend our money on creating fans. This year, we're going to spend £40 million on technology, 
30 million pounds on store development and over 10 million pounds on training, but less than 60,000 pounds on advertising. And because we invest in long-term growth and we invest in the service we give to our customers, our pricing's fair, but the value we offer is massive. And so we win over a thousand customers a day through word of mouth through our customers becoming fans and telling their friends they should bank with us. It's funny, I was uh, downstairs waiting to come in and the gentleman who gave us our passes said, oh, I live in Bexley Heath. You look great there. My friends have been telling me about you. Should I come in? To which I said, of course you should. That's how it works. I don't like to advertise because I don't think people trust advertising and I don't think they trust banks even more. So I'd rather have people's friends, families and colleagues say Metrobank, they're great. And that's how we grow. And that's how we'll keep growing. And that's why we can do this in a low-rate environment, because it's about creating long-term sustainable growth through winning customers for the right reason. And by investing in the things we think our customers want, rather than wasting our money on short-term advertising. I remember when we met previously and you were talking about how you you don't offer, some banks offer, say, £100 if you'll switch your account, but that's not something that you would do. We have stores that are open seven days a week from 8am to 8pm, Monday to Friday, 8 to 6 on a Saturday, 11 to 5 on a Sunday. And actually, that's a lie. I've just lied to you because our stores actually open 10 minutes before we say they will and we shut them 10 minutes after. And that's because we want our customers to be welcomed. So it's lovely you see the tweets when a customer at 5 to 8 has turned up early and we open the door and say, come on in, how can we serve you? And they're the ones who point at their watch and go, but you shouldn't be open yet. And we go, but we don't want you to wait. It's things like that that create the fans and create what we do. And so for me, we don't want to offer incentives because if I offer you £150 to join me, somebody else can offer £150 for you to leave. I'd much prefer to offer you service and convenience, better technology, better locations, better service, and a really fair value product. And then if I do all of that and you come to me for that, you'll stay. And because we're a long-term growth model, I don't want to buy customers in. I want to win customers because of what we offer. And as long as I keep delivering it then, I keep them, I win more, and I keep growing. This, like I said, we're going to end this year just over 2,500 colleagues and 800 or 900,000 customers, say. Next year, we'll have over a million customers. We'll have over 3,000 colleagues. We'll have a balance sheet of over 10 billion in assets, all because we've done what we said we would, and that's create fans. So that's where we invest rather than throwing 150 quid at customers to buy them in. And, and you've got a target, I think, to have 110 stores, is it, by 2020? We say between 100 and 110, just to give ourselves a little bit yeah. of room. <laughs> but, but, but why are stores or, or branches, why are they, you know, when a lot of other banks are shutting their, mm. their branches down, what, why are the stores so important to the strategy for Metrobank? If I had branches like the other banks, I'd be shutting them down as well. But I don't. We have stores where we serve customers. And what we can do is we have real-time technology that allows us to do things the other banks can't. You know, to me, organisations that will win in the future integrate technology and physical delivery together. So what do I mean by that? Uh, Deliveroo. I I like Deliveroo. Uh, It's superb technology. But actually, when I order my burger or whatever it happens to be for for my kids and I, it's delivered on a bike. So there's the absolute latest tech, but can only be fulfilled with something that's 250 years old. It's the integration of physical and technical that wins. So in our stores, I don't know if you've ever lost a card. You have. Great. Sorry, you're shaking your head. I'll say it out loud for you if you don't mind. (laughs) Um, We can print cards in less than five minutes in store. Permanent 
internationally renowned MasterCard debit or credit cards. You could literally, at five past eight tonight, go into one of our stores, get your card printed, and walk out and click and do contactless and travel on the underground home. Done. No other bank can do that. We can do things, therefore, seven days a week, physically deliver. 89% of our customers, from the first keystroke to the last keystroke, have their accounts opened end-to-end in less than 30 minutes. End-to-end. That includes doing all of the regulatory stuff we need to do. Printing your card, printing your checkbook, downloading the mobile app, setting your internet up. End-to-end, 30 minutes. No day-two processing. It's the integration of physical and technical delivery that means we want stores. You don't need them, though, if you can't do anything. We do things. We fulfil for our customers now. And no other bank can do that seven days a week. And, and you, you, were, you used to be at RBS, didn't you? So did you learn, was it in the mobile side of things that you were then or the online kind of technology side of I things? I kind of worked in loads of different areas. <laughs> um, no, to be honest, where I've looking at this is I love looking at different companies, you know. If you look at Apple, I think we can all agree Apple are a fantastic technology company. So why are their stores so popular and why do they have stores if they're a tech company? And I was fortunate enough about 10, 12 years ago to spend a day in Cupertino and meet Ron Johnson, who runs the retail network, and Scott Harvey and and Steve Jobs. And I asked them, and their view was very simply, they wanted to represent their brand and their delivery physically, as well as technology. Uber, brilliant tech. But that car's got to turn up on time, it's got to be clean, it's got to have a driver that speaks English and knows where they're going. So to me, I guess over time as a techie and somebody who works in banking, I got bored of people banging on about mobiles. To me, uh, mobile is about instant consumption. And mobiles are great if you consume what's been sold through there. But when you can't, you need physical delivery. And that's why we did what we did. So forgive me, I guess it's my banking background, I'm a tech background, and also my love of looking at great companies doing great things and learning from them. And obviously, given the fact that a lot of banks are closing down their branches and CYBG actually is, is an interesting example, because, again, that's quite a, you know, a new a new kind of bank that's come to market. And obviously, they're kind of doing the opposite of what you guys are. Do you think that might present an opportunity to Metro Bank, given that banks like that are closing down branches when you're establishing branches? There's always opportunities, definitely. I mean, for me, though, I don't want the legacy of others. We have real-time technology integrated properly, delivered through great corner sites by great people. And I want to protect the long-term growth of the company by not letting other people's legacy um, hinder us. But if people are shutting things and moving away from things, there will be customers who do want the physical contact. And my view is, look, my job's to offer choice. Customers should be able to choose how they want to interact with their bank. And if you don't offer a store, what you're doing is you're taking away choice. And to me, I want to offer customers choice. I personally send all my payments through my mobile app because why would I, you know, we have more transactions on our mobile app than any other channel, but that's fine as long as the customer has the choice and can choose and not be forced into it. So, um, yes, I think it creates opportunities for us, what the other banks are doing, but I think our people create opportunities for us, our colleagues create opportunities, um, our customers create opportunities, and our job is just to keep delivering great service, and that's what we'll keep doing, and that's why we'll keep growing. 
I guess a question that might be on some investors' minds would be, obviously, you're quite highly priced for growth at the moment. And some some would say, oh, it's, it might be high risk given, you know, stores are very expensive and that's why banks are shutting their stores and obviously it's it's quite dependent on you growing your retail deposit base i guess faster than you know costs are rising what, what would you say to that i would say over the last six and a half years uh we've invested in growing a business that's just gone into profit and continues to deliver quarter after quarter after quarter after quarter and i remember in march being out doing the listing when people were saying £20, that's awfully high. Uh, sitting down with them again in, say, May, June, and them saying £24, that's awfully high. Then sitting down with them in July saying, we bought a 27 we love 29 I, I can't control share price. Um, I try not to look at it. Since we listed, we've been at £15 and we've been at £34. I think today we're around 33 proving I do look, actually, but uh, there you go. And... My view is my job is to make sure we consistently and reliably deliver. And that's what we've done so far. And that's because of the way we invest and look at our growth will continue to go. And I think our investors are bought in for the long-term growth that's reliably delivered because that's what we've done for the last six and a half years. And that's what they believe we will do for the next six and a half years because we will. And so I would say the share price is driven by people's confidence in the reliability of the model and what we've done to date and what they believe we'll keep going to do. Because what we've created is a unique culture focused on the customers. And we've created a unique model with the technology and the thinking behind it focused on the customers. And when our investors come in to see us and they put the two together, they see the huge opportunity. We're 0.3% of the market today. 0.3% of the market. And we're in the FTSE 150. We can grow by 2020 reliably in the right way to 1% of the market and I'll tell you, we'll be worth a lot more then than we are today. All I've got to get is 1%. It's amazing the opportunity here with a great culture and a great model and a very concentrated market I'm growing into. How is it that you that you think you will get to the 1%? Is, is it the service? Is that the USP? Or? Absolutely. We'll get to that because we'll keep doing what we promise. We'll create fans. We'll focus on making sure that our customers get unbelievable customer service and an unbelievable customer experience. And we'll offer fair pricing and they can trust us. And we'll keep doing what we say and we'll keep winning customers and we'll keep them because it's a long-term growth model. You've got to win customers and keep them. If you buy customers in and then lose them, that's not long-term growth. It's short-term bounces and I don't want that. And yet to me, it's just about, look, let's just keep creating fans as long as we keep creating fans and keep our net promoter scores constantly between 75 and 80 that's pretty damn good and i'm very proud of that but i'm most proud of the fact that we keep creating those fans who keep introducing their friends friends family and colleague to us that'll get us to 2021 percent we will grow past one percent in 2026 we'll be much bigger and then in 2031 we'll be much bigger again you know i've promised my dad we're, we're only in the southeast at the moment with stores i promised my dad i'm a sunland boy we'll get a store in sunland at some point it'll just take a few years and we will but you know 2031 who knows how big we could be i'm 60 then i'll hand my baby to somebody else uh, but this is a long-term growth model focused on customers and focused on building long-term relationships i think that's what people want from their bank 
That was actually something I was going to ask you about was um, your plans maybe to obviously you're, you're in the southeast at the moment. But what about people in the north of England or in Wales, where I'm from, or Scotland or any any other place that might see you, you know, when they go online looking for a, a bank account, but think, oh, but I want the branch. Yeah. So absolutely right. We are rolling out. Um, but I want to grow in the right way. Again, it's that long-term growth. So I want to grow by conurbation and by taking the culture with us. So today I have stores in Milton Keynes. We've got two stores in Milton Keynes. And I'm signing on sites in Northampton and Leicester. So next year we'll open in Northampton and Leicester. But we're recruiting people into our Milton Keynes stores now with Northampton and Leicester postcodes. So when we open those stores, we've got experienced people to move into them. And that's the way I want us to grow. We're open, we're open today in Reading and Newbury, but I'm doing a deal in Swindon and Bristol, and we'll do the same there. So, you know, my wife is from just outside Cardiff, a little village called Rubina. We'll get to there as well. Uh, I have to to get to see her family more often. Um, but my point is we'll grow in the right way for the long term. I don't want to just have a store in Sunderland today because how would I support it? How would I make sure we deliver the culture and the experience every second of every day if it's so far away? And that's why we'll grow in a tight, coordinated way, thinking about the long-term growth, not about short-term jumps. You can't seem to talk about banks without uh, discussing interest rates. Um, I was just wondering kind of what impact um, low interest rates have had on, on Metrobank. Actually, I think that low interest rates, it, it feels strange because that's all I've ever known in Metrobank. So it kind of doesn't impact on us other than that's what we're used to. That's what we work with. Um, I think that the interest rate cut and the change in inflation is a bigger issue. Uh, and it, it was interesting looking at the uh, the autumn statement and what's happening on infrastructure spend and, and innovation. To me, inflation is the issue. Managing inflation will become the issue with regard to wages and how wages move. And so we have short-term pressure uh, that will definitely play through, I think, in 2017. But we have a long-term imperative around innovation, infrastructure and education, yet we have a big debt pile. And we've got to balance all of these things to get us to the right place over the next 10 years for UK PLC. Um, that's a hard gig. Um, so to me, the low-rate environment is less of an issue, actually, for Metrobank. It's how we continue to grow in, a, in an economy of UK PLC and how we can continue to do the right things. Yeah, I have a saying internally. It's a very famous one. It's not mine. I steal uh, this quote. But, you know, it's the old uh, poster of keep calm and carry on. You know, I have a mortgage and a young family and I want to go home and eat with my young kids tonight and I want to pay my mortgage. I've got to do that tomorrow. And I've got to do it the next day and the next day. And at the moment, with every, all the uncertainty around us, our jobs is just keep calm and carry on because people need good banks. People need people to support them. And that's what Metrobank will do and we'll keep growing. And as long as we keep calm and carry on, Metrobank will be an amazing organisation. I mean, it looks unlikely at the moment, but, um, you know, would there be any impact in terms of if interest rates were to rise? I think it depends on the, the pace and the time. I think interest rates will rise. Inflation, you know, and fiscal policy will require it. Of that, in my mind, there's no doubt. It'll be the degree of it. You know, do they go up 25 or 50 next year? 25, well, that'll just take us back to where we were in August, at the beginning of August. 50 will feel very different for people. And I think what we need is that it to be calm. You know, it's that key calm. Let's have it in staged and controlled moves as the rates move back up. Will they ever go back up? I mean, in my lifetime, we've had the 13s and 15%. Um, I saw your eyes light up. It's scary. It is scary. Um, but, you know, 
on the whole, the normal range was 4 to 6%. Will it ever get that high again? Or are we more in a Japanese environment? I think 2 to 4 looks more natural now for where interest rates will go in the long term. And therefore, in my head, it's about how long does it take us to move out to that so we can do it in a controlled, calm and stable way. That's what's important next year. So I do think rates have to go up. I do think inflation needs to be controlled. I do think we need to be... We need to manage the dollar-euro impact, you know, because that will bring more pressure in. But in a calm and mature way, in stages that are calmly done up to whatever it goes to, not in big jumps by doing things too early or too late. It's really important for that, in my view. Yeah, sure. And um, I guess in terms of the cost of funding for you guys, obviously, because you've got the retail you know, deposits and things like that, you wouldn't want it to jump. I, I wouldn't want it to jump because I think jumps scare people. You don't want to spook anybody. Uh, um, actually, for the cost of funds, we run a very balanced book. So if rates go up, the deposit rate would go up, but my natural lending would, rates would go up as well. So they sort of naturally cover each other. So it wouldn't really impact on Metrobank because that's I manage my business to be low risk in that regard. But it would impact if it went up significantly on small businesses, on people's mortgages. And therefore, I think, you know, but it would be great for my father. You know, my father's retired, lives off his pensions and his savings. But I think that everybody just wants things to be calm and controlled. And we all want to believe that the Bank of England genuinely know what they're doing, which I think they do. And we just need to see calm, steady steps um, is the way we need it to go. Nobody wants any knee jerking. Well, no, I mean, nobody likes kind of shocks in the market. Um, The other thing I wanted to ask you about, actually, was um, it's quite an interesting feature of Metrobank. And that's the way that the deposits, the retail deposits are invested. And it's, you know, they're not just kind of um, lent out, are they? They're also invested in the market. I was wondering if you could explain just to people, you know, might be curious about that and why it is you do that. Well, if we look at banks for, you know, short periods, let's say the last 500 years... Most banks would take £100 off a customer and lend out a percentage of that. Then within about the last 20, 25 years, banks started to leverage themselves and to get wholesale funding. And they'd borrow more from the markets than they'd get from customers. At the peak, some banks were trading at 240 times loan to deposit ratio. And to make that simple, that's like you spending 240 times or 2.4 times your income. That's what the banks were doing. And then we had the crash. Um, a number of banks now around 130, 140% loan to deposit ratio, which means they're still leveraged above their customer deposits. They've borrowed more from the markets to cover their lending. I don't want to do that at Metro Bank. I would rather have more coming in than I have going out. It is a very old fashioned way of running banks, but it seemed to work for 500 years. So for every £100 we take in from customers, we lend out 80%. And then we keep £20. And what we do is we buy gilts and treasury bills. We buy a AAA rated RMBS paper, which is very secure. We make less return on it, but we know it's a much lower risk way of running a business. And like I said, we're a long-term growth model. I don't want to run the risk. I want to run reliable delivery. And therefore, for me, you're right, people challenge me and go, but Craig, how can you run a bank that isn't leveraged above 100%? My challenge would be, why would I want to? I want a long-term, secure bank that lends out less than I bring in. 
because that's the way banks have run for hundreds and hundreds of years and they will run pretty well and pretty safely and that's what we're doing. I guess the other question people might have is what happens if the markets move in a way that's different to the way that you know liabilities move, your liabilities, what would happen then? How are you braced for that kind of situation? So we do lots of stress testing on our books and we run a 2% instant shock. So that would be that a base rate would move up 2% now what would be the impact on the bank? And then we manage that within risks. So I know it would be about three and a half million pound hit today if we saw that hit. Sometimes it might be as high as 10 million. Sometimes I might make money on it if it was to happen. And therefore we apply stress ratios because that's just a sensible way of doing it. We also look at if there was a disconnect between base rate and LIBOR. And again, we forecast what would happen to our books if you got a massive disconnect because it's sensible to run different scenarios and make sure what, what would be the losses? What would be the impact? Actually, if there was a massive disconnect on LIBOR, would make more money. If there was a massive jump in base rate, would lose about three, three and a half million, like I said. Do I think there's going to be a 2% disconnect in base rate? No. Or put it this way, we would be having that exact conversation we had earlier. Um, but it's worth us modelling this and making sure that we run the bank safely and secure and that we stress test our balance sheet to make sure we run it properly. So we run a number of stress test scenarios and I always try and keep it pretty much naturally hedged. So whether you had a 2% up or a 2% down, we would be safe. We would be sensible because I'm not betting the bank on anything. I mean, I guess everybody involved in banking must have learned a lot of lessons from the financial crisis. I think the only answer to that is yes, of course. <laughs> I think there's a lot of scars. I, I do worry, though, you know, it's really important. History teaches us so much, mm. and we've got to be open to that, and we've got to not forget it. You know, I... I was it a Confucius... It, it was a curse, actually, not a saying, the, uh, may you live in interesting times. Well, with what happened in 07, 08, what happened with Brexit, we've had two lifetime opportunities to learn, but we must make sure we take the lessons. And that's what I'm trying to do with Metro Bank, is make sure that the lessons of 07 and 08 are learned and applied, which is why I take you back to what I do on things like my loan-to-deposit ratio being less than 100%. I think that's a sensible and safe way to run a bank. And to make sure if there's a wholesale market freeze in the future, well, it doesn't impact on Metro Bank. We'll just keep growing and keep delivering great service to our customers. And how is it that you wouldn't be so affected by a, by a wholesale market freeze? Because I don't borrow from the wholesale markets, because I'm, a hundred, I'm less than 100%. If you're, say, 120% or 140%, you must have borrowed from the wholesale markets. So if it froze, you might have, you've got that money. I don't have any of it, which makes a fundamental difference to how I run my business. Um, and something else I just wanted to ask you about, uh, just finally, was dividends and, and whether there are any dividend prospects or, or, you know, why investors, you know, should invest in Metrobank? Do you have any plans for, for dividends in the future? So uh, we've given guidance out of 2020. Uh, and in that guidance, there's no space for dividends at the moment. With the growth opportunities we have and the way we need to hold capital against that growth, it would be value destroying to pay a dividend away because I can believe I can create value accretion way beyond any dividend I pay out. So, you know, um, it's a little exceptional at the moment. The stock's up, I think, 69% since, since March. That's exceptional. But I do believe that if we deliver long-term reliable growth, we will continue to have long-term reliable growth in our stock and that will be worth more to a, an investor than actually paying dividends away. Will we never pay dividends? I'd never say that. But as long as I believe that we can use that money to grow the bank and therefore create more wealth for our investors, that's absolutely what we'll do. 
Okay. Well, I think I'll wrap it up there then. Thank you very much, Craig, again for joining me. And thank you all for listening. At Airbus, our products make the world a safer place and help nations protect their sovereignty. Whether it's air ambulance services at home or evacuations overseas, our technology protects citizens, safeguards security, and aids responses to crises. At Airbus, we're pioneering sustainable aerospace for a safe and united world. Learn more at airbus.com.